We're going to begin somewhere very controversial this morning. I was in uh, Flint, Michigan. I was in Flint, obviously, Michigan, um, having coffee at Cafe Rama. And it was a nice day, so I decided to drink coffee outside. So I drink coffee outside. The world's walking by. And I like just being outside in the city. People will stop by. I'll see people in their cars, see friends of mine. I just love being in the city. I usually have, I spend one day downtown a week just to be near the business owners, near the people of our town. On this day, I was drinking my coffee, and I saw a man walking towards me, and he's wearing a T-shirt that caught my attention. His shirt said loudly and strongly, it was a black shirt with white lettering, and the letters said, Christianity is the white man's religion. It was worn by a young African-American man, and I've heard that language before. Even early in his career, Malcolm X said something very similar to that. It's been intimated that if you're a black man in America and you are a Christian, you are a traitor to your people because you're taking the religion of the slave masters. And what kind of self-reflecting man would take the faith of their slave masters? I heard a similar refrain in India. I lived in India for a few years. And Indian people would say on TV, Christianity is the religion of America, and Hinduism is the religion of India. Is Christianity indeed an American religion? Is Christianity indeed the white man's religion? And the answer to that is a resounding no. In this passage, we see specifically that it is not. We begin in eight, Acts 8. Philip is still in Samaria. Philip, is still, Philip went to Samaria because the, the Jewish zealot Saul has chased out the Christians from Jerusalem. So Philip found himself in Samaria, preaching Jesus, starting a church. This is what happens next. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he's going on a road, and the road between two cities, there's no one going to be there. And we've all been on those roads. Roads between towns, roads between cities. I remember driving out west to South Dakota, there'll be signs saying, like, next gas station, 100 miles. And you know, you get gas now, you go to the bathroom now, because if you don't, you're hit. So places in the west, if you're not... If you, you, I've had to pull over at a gas station when it's closed, wait till it opens, get gas, because we were so far from civilization. Philip, go to this desert place where no one's going to be at. There's no towns, no villages. You're going to be on a road with no one around. I want you to go there. And there's a guy down there. He doesn't know this, but there's a man on the ro that road. Who is this man? There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip doesn't know it, but God has an appointment for Philip. He's going down to the middle of nowhere to meet this man. I want you to know something about this man. This man is Ethiopian which means he is from Ethiopia. 
And Ethiopia is in Africa, which means this man's a black man, an African man. He's going to hear the gospel. He's going to receive the gospel. And he's going to take the gospel back to Ethiopia and establish an early church in that nation that predates Europe, that predates American mission activity. I say that to say this. Christianity is not a white man's religion. It was in Africa before it went to Europe. To my Indian brother, I would say, you think it's an American religion? Jesus is a Jewish guy, first of all. And the first time the gospel came to India wasn't with a European missionary. The first time the gospel came to India was when Thomas, the apostle of Christ, landed in Kerala, where his tomb is to this day, and India has, again, one of the oldest, oldest single-standing churches in global history. I'm just making a point to say, the movement of Jesus, it's bigger than Flint City Church, it's bigger than Michigan, it's bigger than any of our denominations. I don't care if you were raised Mennonite, if you were raised Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist, Jesus is bigger than your tradition. He's bigger than our country. The cross is bigger than the flag, just in case you don't know that. Jesus has been moving around the world. When Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and ascended into heaven, and gave the gospel to his followers, within a generation, that message is all over the world, man. It's going to India, to Africa, and up into Europe. No one culture owns the gospel. That's a good thing. I just wanted to make that point. I saw that man's shirt, and it broke. He had headphones on. He had, I don't want to bother him. So excuse me, sir. It was my place. But my heart broke for that young man because I could feel the anger coming off him. I just wanted to tell him, brother, Jesus is bigger than America. The gospel was there before the slave ships ever arrived. That's all I wanted to say. So that's, we could go on. Whew. Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Oh, okay, so there's a mouse. Okay. In the ancient Near East, there'd be a king. And the king would have a queen. This is baby, this is girl. Ah, my queen. And the king, she would have all these workers around her. And the king didn't want, he wanted her to have educated, strong worker people around her. But he didn't want none of these guys flirting with his wife. So what he would do, he would take young men, and he would castrate them, essentially. He would neuter them, like you do to a dog. And he'd take away their sex drive, so he'd never, ever mess with his wife. This guy was one of those people. He is a neutered man. Without testosterone, so he'd never, ever smooch with his wife, basically. So this guy was a eunuch. We learn also, he's a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this guy's Ethiopian, but he's a God-fearing Ethiopian. 
He loves Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay. He's in a chariot. That's how you know the guy is rich. Okay? Back in the day, you walked everywhere you went. If you were wealthy, if you were middle class, maybe you had a donkey. Oh, if you were rich, you had a horse. And if you were a king of a nation, you had a chariot. Chariot is covered. The sun isn't on your skin. You are riding in style. This guy's in a chariot, covered, and he's reading a book. Again, rich and educated. Because nowadays, I got four of these books in my Bibles in my house. We have the printing press, right? Automated craziness. Back in the day, and it was written on scrolls, cow skin, or leaf, bark. And every book anyone had had to be handwritten. Which means if you owned a book, you were rich, yo. You were rich. He's got Isaiah and he's reading it in a scroll. Here's what happens next. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. The angel led him to the desert. Then the Spirit, as he's walking on the street, it's him and a chariot. And the Spirit of God says, go to that chariot and talk to that guy. The Spirit prompts Philip to engage a stranger. This is a very scary thing to do. But I want to say to us, 2,000 years later, for us, sharing Jesus is just as easy as it was for Philip. Sharing Jesus often is simply a matter of obedience. Sharing Jesus often is simply a matter of obedience. It's just the Spirit of God telling you, Talk to that person. You see someone who's crying, maybe you need to engage them. Someone's broke down the highway, maybe you stop and help them. Someone's in line ahead of you and can't afford the groceries, maybe God prompts you to help them pay the groceries and introduce yourself to them. Every week of my life, the Holy Spirit will prompt me to engage someone. And I try to pray, this is true. I, I ask the Lord, Lord, every week, let me talk to one person about your son Jesus. That's the goal of my life, is every week, talk to one person who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus. That's a bold prayer. Because I ask for it, and God will sometimes prompt and say, Ernesto, talk to that guy. Talk to that girl. I'll be like, oh, man. I'm chilling. I'm having my coffee. They're chilling. I don't want to bother them. I don't want them to bother me. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if, if you become their friend, they're going to say hi to you next time you see him, which is a whole annoying thing. A lot of us in America like being left alone. We're, we're very private people now. My house was built in 1920. I have a detached garage, okay? Modern constructions, the garages are all attached to the houses. All modern construction, houses are attached. Do you know why Americans attach the garages to their houses? Why? I don't want to see anybody. I want to come up to a hard day, pull in my garage, shut the door, get out, and no one says hi to me. I don't have to talk to anybody. No one bothers me. My annoying neighbors would bother me, and life is awesome. My neighbor and I have become friends. Being a friend with your neighbor sometimes means you're mowing the lawn, and you hear your, 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 your I mow my lawn, like many of you, I got headphones in, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking out, loving life, in the zone. 
Now hear something. I see someone, I'm oh, headphones out, pause the eye, pause the phone, and you gotta stop the lawnmower and talk to someone for 20 minutes. That's an inconvenience. Loving people, knowing people is inconvenient. But God has called us to be salt and light in the world, to engage people with his gospel. God tells Philip, go talk to this guy. Yesterday, my, my family and I discovered a new ice cream place here in the city. And oh, what ice cream place this is. It's called Kersley Cone, over on Richfield Road, between Richfield and Bel or between Genesee and Belsey. We pull up there. They have Disney-level ice cream there. My kids ordered this thing called the Unicorn Shake. The, the top was crystallized with Fruity Pebbles. Ice cream poured over the top. There was cotton candy crawling up a straw. There was a cupcake in it. Was, it was as, as big as my kid's head. They eat, and it cost $10, which is stupid. Um, we went over there and ordered these things for my kids. I'm in line, we're all waiting, and the Lord prompts me to talk to the guy in front of me in line. I don't want to talk to that guy. I want to leave him alone. We're all waiting, we're all impatient, it's hot, the sun's shining. The Lord's like, talk to this man. It's like, Philip, I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to engage someone. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you to engage someone, you have a decision to make. Will you obey and engage them, or will you disobey and ignore the prompting? For me, I'll drive into someone broke down, the Lord will say, help that person. And in Flint, that's a 50-50, you know? <laughs> like, help with someone in Flint. Like, if you're a lady, don't stop. I'm just telling you, as a lady, be safe. It's a rowdy town we live in. But I stop a lot to help people. Philip is told by the Lord, engage this guy. So what does Philip do? So Philip ran to him. And he hears him reading Isaiah. The, he runs over. Here's the guy, guy reading the Bible. And he asks him the question, do you understand what you are reading? And the man says, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now listen, sharing your faith is usually not this easy. Like, Philip's like, you know what you're reading? He goes, no, but you tell me what it means? Come into my chariot. It's a good day to be Philip in this moment in time. I remember I was uh, in Texarkana once, and me and my buddy, our, our, van, our Jeep broke down. And we're hitching across America to go back to San Antonio. Don't do that either. Don't hitchhike. Different world. Different world, okay? I was holding on to the 60s, but it was already the 90s. But I'm hitching, and no one picked me up because my buddy's taller than me, and all got leather jacket, looks like Bruce Springsteen when he was young. You got me, all Mexican and big. Everyone's just flying by us on the highway, no one's stopping. And I tell my buddy, I'm like, you know what I want? All I want is a hot dog and a Coke. And my buddy's like, man, drink, you're dreaming. We're getting no one stopping for us. We have like a 300 miles to go. All of a sudden, the semi pulls off in front of us. We run up, open the door, like, we get a ride? Where are you going? San Antonio. Oh, I'll take you to Dallas. We get in the cab. He starts going, this trucker. His name was Hammer. What a great name. That's his, his CV, Hammer. And his mom was behind us in the semi 
what was her name? It was like Hammer and Killer or something like that. So we're going, and Hammer tells me right away. Hammer goes, now listen here, young guys. You try anything, I'll take this semi off the road and kill us all. I'm like, I ain't doing nothing. I'm doing, I'm a good guy. I'm a Christian guy. So we start going on the highway, and he goes, hey, man, look at that cooler behind you. Look in the cooler, and it was cold hot dogs and cold Coca-Cola cans of Coke. And the Lord heard my prayer, and it was a good ride to Dallas. Now, Philip is walking, sun on his head, and now he's sitting in a chariot in the shade. Life is good. And Philip goes, the Ethiopian says to him, listen, what does this mean? And he reads the verse. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This guy is reading Isaiah 53. One of the biggest prophecies of Jesus in the entire Old Testament. He's reading the perfect verse. God literally, in, in volleyball, when you play volleyball, the goal is not to get the volleyball over the net. You want to set it up for your buddy. You want to bounce it up so your buddy can do what? Spike that bad boy. The Lord has set this up for Philip. The Lord's like, Isaiah 53, bump. And all Philip's got to do is spike this ball. The guy, Ethiopian, asked him, about who, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? It's literally about Jesus. And it says, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, as, they, as they're going on the street, or the, as the chariot's moving, Philip tells this Ethiopian the story of Christ, what he did and what he said and how he died and how he rose again. It's usually not this easy. It does happen sometimes. One time when I was in high school, I was in charge of the Bible study at our high school, and everyone knew I loved Jesus. I remember one day I come to my locker and there's two kids there. And this one kid's like, hey, Ernesto, this kid wants to know who God is. Will you tell him? And I'm like, okay. And sometimes, it, sometimes it is that easy. You're just like, set, spike. But a lot of times it's not. The Bible says that some plant, some water, God gives the increase. Some people, you will love them, you will tell them about Christ, and you won't see if that seed takes. There are people I have worked with for years. I've prayed for. I, I've begged God for their salvation. I've tried to be a witness testimony to them. And someone else is there when they accept Jesus. And that's okay. I don't need to be there, and you don't need to be there for it to be a win. As long as they meet Christ, it is a win, right? Our faithfulness is about telling the story. We point to Christ. The results are not important. Your faithfulness is what is important. I've heard of missionaries going to Muslim nations, spending 10, 20 years, only seeing one or two people come to Christ. That is someone doing hard, slow work. But man, God is moving underneath the ground and we can't even see what he's doing. So the guy hears about Jesus. Let's wrap this next. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, 
And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? They're, the chariot's going, and they see maybe a pond or a lake. The Ethiopian goes, there's some water. Can I get baptized? Because he heard the story about how Christ was baptized by John. How everyone, the apostles, was baptized. That every time someone meets Jesus, they show their new faith by going into the water. The Ethiopian, has, he says, can I go in the water? What's stopping me from going in the water? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What a confession. The Presbyterians, their denomination, whenever you get baptized as a Presbyterian, you must say, here's what's incredible. This confession of the Ethiopian had been the confession of the church for 2,000 years. People literally go into the baptismal and will quote these words since this happened. I believe he is the Christ, Son of God. How awesome is that? His confession is our confession. Apparently, there's only one thing we must have in order to be baptized. If you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. That's the only condition. I have baptized addicts. I've baptized criminals. Ex-cons, drunks. I'll, get even, I'll make you more comfortable. I've baptized people who, who committed sex crimes. The only condition the Bible gives for getting baptized, do you believe with all your heart? My daughter wanted to get baptized for years. She always asked me about it. I always tell her, not, not yet, not yet. Always told her, not yet. And one day, she told me a story of one of the kids at school did something bad. Did something pretty bad, actually. And we're, and we're laughing because it was so stupid, but it was bad. And she goes, Dad, some of my friends at school, they go to church, but I don't know if they love Jesus. I'm like, why do you say that? She's like, well, they don't. They're unkind. They, they say these mean things. They tell people all these awful stuff. I'm like, Lena, sometimes people can go to church and not know him. That, that, that does happen. She goes, well, Dad, I love Jesus. I'm like, I know you do. She said, no, I really love him. I'm like, I know you love Jesus. She goes, really? I'm like, really? And we're driving, you know. She's like, well, if you believe I love Jesus, why won't you let me get baptized? And I was like, oh, man. I mean, there are traps, and then there are traps. Like, I, I mean, I'm a dead man. I'm just like... I'm like, let me talk to your mom. <laughs> so I go home, talk to Angie. And six months ago, my daughter got baptized. She's only, she was only, she was 10 years old. She believed with all her heart. She believed. I didn't push it on her. I didn't tell her. I tried to stop her. And she fought through me to get baptized, which is pretty awesome. We, we here at Flint City Church, we don't baptize infants. And the reason we don't baptize infants is because there's only one criteria, right? You must believe with all your heart. And babies can't believe with all their hearts. We don't baptize them. I'm not saying our brothers who do are evil. 
I'm saying we don't do that here. Fair? Now, I was baptized as a baby. I'm Mexican, which means I, I was Catholic. Now, I was a non-practicing Catholic. We didn't go to Mass. I didn't know I was Catholic until I went to start going to church. Mom said, you're Catholic. I'm like, since when? Um, I remember I came home one day, and I was like, Ma, I want to be baptized. She goes, you already baptized. I was like, I'm, I didn't know what she was talking about. And she went and found this certificate of my feet, baby, you know, baby feet, baptismal thing. It was weird. Um, and she's like, you're baptized as a baby. You can't be baptized again. As my pastor, I'm like, what do I do? And my pastor said, honor your mother and father. Don't get baptized. So I didn't. I waited. And a few years later, my mom said to me, you still want to get baptized? I'm like, yeah, Ma, I do. And she goes, I give you my blessing. I'm like, will you come? She goes, I won't come, but I allow it. So I waited for mom to give me a blessing before I got, so I got baptized when I was like 16 years old. And it was a good day. So if you're here, and maybe when you were an infant, you were baptized, and you're like, you know what? I, I want to make this decision for myself. I want to go in the water of my own volition to show my faith and my dedication to Christ. If that's you, we can baptize you. If anyone here wants to be baptized, next week I will set up a baptismal outside. After service, we'll go outside and baptize anybody who desires to go in the water. Now, a few more qualifications. Some people get baptized and then fall away from their faith, right? Get baptized and then start living in sin, mess their lives up, and they feel guilty. People say to me, I want to get re-baptized because I feel so bad about being so stupid. And I say, listen, you don't got to get re-baptized for being stupid. Because if that were the case, I'd be in the water a lot. You know what I'm saying? I'd be getting in front of Angie. I'm like, I got to go to the lake, baby. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Like, I, that's not how we do it. That's not how we roll. The Bible says one faith, one Lord, one baptism. If you've been baptized as a believing person, your baptism is, it honored God, it honors God, and amen. You don't got to be baptized by Flint City, part of our church. If you're baptized somewhere else, we praise God for that. As long as you did it as a thinking, believing person, okay? So if, let's, say, let's say you didn't, your life did get crazy and you feel like you want to rededicate your life. I encourage you to rededicate your life. To get down on your knees and say, Lord, I've been a mess for so long, I rededicate my life to you. But you don't need to get rebaptized. There's a difference, okay? Rededication instead of rebaptism. You understand that? But if you are here and you have never been baptized in the water and you're like, I'm ready, we'll help you take that step. Just like this Ethiopian who saw the water and said, what's stopping me? I remember years ago, there was a guy in our church. He was like six foot six. Remember? And uh, he, he comes to me. He's a son of a pastor. He comes to my office. He goes, Ernesto, I've never been baptized. I'm like, you, you were raised in church. You were born in church. He's like, it just never happened. And so I got to baptize this guy who loved Christ his whole life, just never, ever made, never got around to going in the water. That was a tough one because we had to go down real far to one side of the baptismal. He was just so, it's like, like dunking a tree, that guy. Uh, this is what happens next in Acts 8. I shouldn't have closed my Bible, sorry. Okay, it says this. 
he commanded the chariot to stop. So the Ethiopian confesses Christ. I believe he is the Christ, son of God. So they commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, they filled him in a eunuch, and he baptized him. He baptizes him. This guy believed in Christ. He said, it's true, I believe it. Goes in the water, gets baptized, and Philip leaves him. And that Ethiopian eunuch and that chariot heads back, head, it finishes its journey down into Ethiopia. And the gospel goes to an African nation. It's first one. So, the invitation is open. If you have not been baptized, come talk to me after service, and we'll get you set up for next week. And we will celebrate with you as you go under the water in obedience to following Jesus. Now, baptism does not save you from your sins. The, the water is not blessed. It's not holy. It's just water, yo. It's just water. And because we're using a horse trough, there'll probably be floaties in and everything, okay? It's just water. Baptism is simply an outward sign of your inward faith. It's showing the world, I am with Christ, and I am His. It's just you, it's you flying your flag and say, I'm on team Jesus. So we're going to pray, we're going to be dismissed. If you want to be baptized, you let me know, and we'll prepare for a glorious service next Sunday. So with that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, for your word that is true. Let your word instruct and lead and guide us in all things. Help us as a people to be sensitive to your spirit's prompting. And we see people who need you and your spirit pushes us and whispers to us. Let us be open to those conversations, to those meetings, to those conversations, Lord. For those here who need to be baptized, give them the courage to come forward to go under the water. We love you very much, Jesus. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.